Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. This podcast episode with journalist and writer Joe Donnelly was recorded back in January 2020, before the coronavirus crisis and the current lockdown in Scotland. One of Joe's book choices was The Stand by Stephen King. In talking about it, Joe was eerily prophetic about the threat of a global pandemic and the world's ability to cope with that. So enjoy the book chat on that book and Joe's other choices in the Read All About It podcast and you can ask him later what next week's lottery numbers are. guest in the latest episode of the Read All About It podcast is Joe Donnelly, a journalist and author and a colleague of mine at the Celtic View. He swapped a career in plumbing for journalism with a round-the-world trip in between the two, and after writing for PC Gamer about one of his passions, video games, he joined Celtic in 2018, writing about his other passion, football and in particular Celtic. In 2019, he published his first book, Homegrown Hero, the biography of Celtic player James Forrest, to great success. And like the proverbial buses, you wait years for a Joe Donnelly book and two come along almost at the same time. In May 2020, Scottish publishers 404 Inc. will bring out Joe's new book, Checkpoint, How Video Games Power Up Minds, Kick Ass and Save Lives. Inspired by his own experience navigating depression following a tragic personal loss, Checkpoint reflects on the comforting and healing effect that entering into new digital worlds and narratives can have, both personally and on a wider scale. Through exclusive, in-depth interviews with video game developers, health professionals, charities and gamers alike, Joe makes the case for the vital value of gaming culture and why we should be more open-minded and willing to pick up a controller, if not for fun, for the well-being of ourselves and our loved ones. Joe, welcome to the Read All About It podcast, talking about your your new book. I'm I'm quite glad that we've got you on this podcast before the book comes out because I have a feeling this book's going to become a a big, big hit and then we'll just be name-dropping you in, in, in months and years to come. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, no pressure with that with that really professional introduction. Um, yeah, I mean, I hope that it does well. I hope that the book is designed to appeal to people who have an interest in video games, a past interest in video games, and even if they don't, perhaps if you know somebody that plays video games, be that friends, family, or anyone in your life, that video games aren't just about you know FIFA, Call of Duty, you know, sport games, the shooty, shooty, bang, bang stuff on war zones that. There are more wholesome elements to video games that we can learn, and the book can argue that video games are uniquely placed to educate and inform in a way that traditional media isn't. But yeah, I mean, I could speak about that all day, writing a book about it, but... Because um, it's interesting when you, you were telling us about the book, and obviously when it was announced, and it got a fair bit of publicity, and I think because of that kind of, you know, that stereotype of, it's quite, I suppose it's lazy journalism as well, that people just have this cliche of, of video games being bad and having a negative effect and, and responsible for all sorts of negative behaviour and actually it's what I think is really interesting and why I think it, it will really resonate with a lot of people and take off is the fact it's completely contradicting that and, and arguing that actually there is a lot of positives from it if, if people will just look beyond this kind of stereotypes. Yeah, that's exactly it and you see a lot of it from from politicians uh, and at the moment who's in charge of America because kind of constantly bringing up the argument about video games um, causing people to be violent. There's not really any studies that prove that at all. And that's what I want the book to do, just look at video games to the opposite end of, of the lens uh, in terms of 
kind of fighting against stereotype, but also mental illness. Like it's mental health generally is still very much stigmatised today. So taking two stigmas, two stereotypes, and just showing kind of breaking them down, asking why they exist and showing that it's not really the case. That's the, the main drive of the book. And also there's a bit of kind of personal stuff in there that like you touched upon and speaking to people who study it. You know, they've got psychological backgrounds and they know the subject better than me. So to kind of intersperse in the book with both points of view is, is the goal. And yeah, I'm thoroughly enjoying writing it. It's been really good. And it's nice to hear, I don't know, someone who's maybe not interested in video games like yourself, Paul, to be speaking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's interesting when I kind of have joking saying you wait years for, for one of your books and two come along at the same time and you know I'm guessing I'm obviously having conversations with you in work about it's obviously something writing's up you know talking about passions of video games Celtic but writing in general and now to be able to to be able to put that into to book form I mean I know what it's like myself it must be a great thrill when you, when you see your work and print it on the shelves and, and be able to say to people oh, this is my book yeah definitely um, I was in East Kilbride Shopping Centre up near where I live and, and saw the James Forrest book in the Celtic shop window and, and just seeing that you know seeing the written by Joe Donnelly uh, on the top it sounds like being slightly arrogant but it's it feels like you're getting you know you're reaping the rewards of the hard work of putting something into a book yeah, I mean, I, I think this time last year I quite fancied the idea of doing something and I think a lot of it's down to confidence. I think that MD that likes writing can probably do a book. It's just about having the discipline and I think coming from a journalistic background certainly helps that because we're so used to deadlines. Not everybody's got that, but having the confidence to just, yeah, get it done within a structure and I do think that the, the James Forrest project certainly has quite tight timeframes there um, to do that and, yeah, like it's, it's really inspired me to... To keep going with this one and I'm starting to have a couple of fiction ideas as well so yeah watch this space I suppose yeah as I say that uh, it will soon be yes we, we, we once knew Joe Donnelly when he was just a, a mere Celtic new reporter I'm not sure about that <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, for, the, for the basis of the, the, the podcast of course uh, I just ask people the same it's the same five questions and obviously what's great about it is you get so many different answers because everybody's got different tastes in, in books going back to their childhood and the first first question I, I ask is is what was your, your favourite book from childhood and the one you've given is, is something I wasn't familiar with yeah it's um, it's called The Stonecutter it was part of a collection of children's books I think it was the Puffin collection of children's stories for five year olds or something it was something that my dad read to me and one of the stories within that collection is called The Stonecutter it's essentially about a stonecutter who it gets fed up in the kind of the grind of nine to five life and sees other people and other beings in in his kind of day to day. And at first, the stonecutter sees he's kind of toiling away and he's working away in the sun. And it kind of the, the, the story challenges the kind of idea of class and social movement and stuff like that, but broken down so that it can be understood by five year olds. And the stonecutter first sees a rich man and he he kind of wishes aloud that he wants to live that lifestyle and a mountain spirit grants him that. So he's got this wealth and he lives in this lovely big house and then he um, is still struggling in the heat so he sees a, a prince with servants who are fanning him down and then he wishes for that. Mountain Spirit Julie grants that as well. But still, even with all the money, you know, he's not impervious to the heat so he said he wants to be the sun himself and the Mountain Spirit grants that. So all of a sudden he's the sun baking down but then the clouds, you know, stop him from being able to warm up the land so he wants to be the clouds next because that's the next obstacle which he sees it's kind of a careful what you wish for thing and then the clouds if he really kind of gets a bit power mad and he floods the world below the only thing that's devastating the place villages towns they all get wrecked and, and the only thing which he can't move is this big rock so he goes oh, I want to be this rock and then the, the mountain spirit grants him that and then sure enough it goes full circle 
you know, the rock is this this you know unmovable object, and suddenly a stone cutter is chipping away at the rock, and he wishes that he could be the stone cutter again, and it makes you kind of think about yeah your place in in the world and what is true happiness and all that kind of stuff, which I probably didn't appreciate at the time when I was only five, but I like the story, and it's something which has always stuck with me. And then when I read about it when I got a bit older, uh, it's something that yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a really cool it's a really cool story. You think you know you're saying your your dad read it to you. Was the political message or whatever that would that appeal to him? And even though, as you say, at five years old, it's just the story, but he's maybe wanting to just embed those things into you from a very young age. I think that's fair enough, yeah. My, my dad is, is pretty political. I think, similarly, when people talk about jokes in Shrek, for example, uh, people that have got kids, they can put Shrek on, and, and there's jokes that are definitely aimed at adults that aren't necessarily picked up by the kids, but they love the cartoon. I think that's a definite example of it, that, yeah, my dad is quite uh, politically in tune, and he was wanting to tell a story which may or may not stick with me it turns out it did uh, but yeah I probably didn't grasp all the, the profound themes that, that it explores but he definitely would have enjoyed it and passed it on to me so yeah and is it something that you then in turn want to is that, that that kind of story or that story in particular want to pass on to your daughter absolutely yeah um, I don't know that I see eye to eye with everything uh, politically with my dad uh, as much as he would hate to hear that but I think I've taken on a lot of the, the traits that he did and yeah I'd like to pass that on to Lily, as I say, like, I think the kind of be careful what you wish for thing is something which applies in life generally, and it's really simplified in this story, but um, no, I mean, it's something which has stuck with me, and I would absolutely pass that on to my daughter when she's old enough to, to listen. And was it something, when you're growing up, obviously you know, your dad's got this idea of maybe a political story, but was there a lot of books in the house? Did your dad read to mum and dad read to you a lot? Yeah, they used to read to me every night. Um, my dad read Treasure Island to me at one point, actually, um, when I was a wee bit older than five. And I went back and read it. Um, obviously, it's a it's a, a classic, a timeless classic, but I probably enjoyed it more when I was having it read to me. Right. Uh, strangely, I um, mean, it's no surprise that I consume books via Audible now, um, although not sponsored by this podcast, <laughs> uh, or vice versa. But part of it would have been about just having my dad and my mum there reading to me, I think... Um, I think that's really important. Like my girlfriend and I try and do that with my daughter every every night. She's only fifteen months at the moment, but to read to her is a kind of family event as well. And obviously, getting her used to reading books at a young age. And I think that yeah, when I went back and read Treasure Island for her, it's obviously a fantastic story. I probably enjoyed it more the first time because there was that bond in with my mum and dad as well. Because that's quite a unless it was that kind of channel, children's version. I mean, that's quite a like heavy going. If you especially if your dad had been working all day, and then he's like. Oh, Got you another chapter to you. Yeah, that was that. I mean, especially with Treasure Island, I was absolutely terrified of the black spot when I was only seven or eight years old or something. Um, I was terrified that I would be in the playground one day and notice this thing on my hand. But yeah, I mean, it was. It's a pretty, a pretty heavy going book. I probably was more into reading then, uh, and then through my kind of teenage years, fell out of it a little bit. And then, as I've, I'm now thirty three, like more and more into reading again as I kind of grew up but no it was great to, to learn some of the kind of literary class, classics excuse me when I was younger and obviously having that bonding with my parents as well yeah I mean it, that takes us nicely onto the, the next question which is again moving on in terms of your own life and people have been some people have chosen a book when they've just been early teens late teens student so it's kind of that formative years when you're really getting books that are yours and you identify with and, and, and what would your book be? Yeah The Stand by Stephen King mum and dad were big Stephen King fans when I was growing up and I quite liked horror books I liked Goosebumps when I was kind of just at the end of primary school getting into secondary R.L. Stein and then into the kind of point horror stuff which was kind of teenage horror stuff um, horror books and then Stephen King was always in my mind it was like kind of that was real grown up stuff 
and I tried to read it and kind of struggled a wee bit. Even when I was old enough to read it, I was probably about 15 and just couldn't read. I don't know, my mind was elsewhere. And then I tried to read Dolores Claiborne and it was quite heavy. And then I had to do a specialist study project in fifth year, so when I was about 16, 17, and my dad had always gone on about the stand and he absolutely loved it and it was his favourite Stephen King book. So I chose that and I couldn't put it down. And it's probably to this day like one of the longest books that I've ever read. But at the time I loved it and I've, I've read it a couple of times since. Um, one of the few books that I've went back to and read cover to cover again. And I just think like the themes in The Stand are, are brilliant. Like I love uh, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. And I, mean, I could have easily named that here as well as 1984 by George Orwell. Written in 1978, The Stand, the way it talks about this kind of dystopian world that influence and affects the... The entire population. I mean, if even if you think in, in you know the late nineties, early two thousands, MRSA, swine flu, even Ebola in two thousand and fourteen, like sometimes the world for all the you know the, the the masses of medicine that we've got isn't equipped for that kind of pandemic. So I think that something like the stand in nineteen seventy eight and even now is prescient in the sense that something could happen, whether it's through terrorism or whether it's through just natural infection. Like pandemic is never something which the world can properly say that it's immune to. Um, so I think that the way that Stephen King handled that through kind of good versus evil was, was fascinating. Because I think even in recent years there's been some books that are kind of very similar, like pandemic-style, um, post-apocalyptic books, and you can tell they've obviously been influenced by the stand. But I mean, even as a young guy, sometimes I think when you see a book, the physical book, and it has a, a big chunk of a read, that, that, that wasn't intimidating at all? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think because I had, it was kind of underpinned by the fact I was doing it for school, so I was doing it for a project, and again, speaking about deadlines, like I knew I had to get to the end of it, and then as could it, as it would have been as me at 16, 17, I had to critique it as well, uh, and kind of pour over the themes and the characters and stuff. I remember at the time learning that Stephen King, or maybe I learned this afterwards, but it was... He'd wanted to do his kind of take on Lord of the Rings, and Lord of the Rings is to this day my mum's favourite book, which I've read and been into video games. The fantasy elements do appeal, but I've always preferred the kind of realism. And the, for all, like it's quite fantastical to stand, like I said before, that like, you could imagine this happening in the modern day and replacing Mordor with Las Vegas. I think it's brilliant, you know, the Dark Lord with Randall Flagg. So the parallels are there. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a very long read at times. It felt like a slog, but because it was tied to my school stuff, it never. I say it felt like a slog. It was more because I knew I had to get to the end of it, but it was it's gripping from start to finish. I mean, you know, you've read it yourself. Yeah. It's a it's a fascinating book, and again, the parallels are something which keep it going. And I think part of me as well, like nobody's. I mean, there are video games which tackle the idea of pandemic. There is a game called Pandemic, among others. There's no game which has really translated the stand in such a way. And I think you know, if any game developers listening out there, that'd be a good one to. Because <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, I only read I only read it about four or five years ago. And I, I found it absolutely captivating. And I think you and I have had this conversation about because I think it's very, it's all obviously really cinematic. It's you know, it's a brilliant story. You'd say nowadays you'd think somebody like Netflix would do it as a, as a, a series, but there has been one attempt at it, and it was pretty disappointing given yeah. how great the book is. Yeah, I mean, it was like a straight to DVD style film, wasn't it? It was uh, Gary Sinise. Is that the, the lead guy, the guy that's Lieutenant Dan and? Forrest Gump, who I think is a fantastic actor, done a lot of stuff in CSI and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was pretty rubbish. It was really underwhelming. I'm glad that I read the book first. I know that in you know, proper readers will always say you should read the book first before watching the film. I'd done it round the wrong way with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which was probably fine because I think One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, people who like the book tend to say that the film takes a good yeah, shot at yeah. it. But yeah, like given like you, 
you spoke about cinematic, I mean, obviously it is, is massive now. The Green Mile was a fantastic Stephen King adaptation, and it feels like the stand, especially now, especially the world that we live in, would, you know, they could do a, a proper Hollywood style version of it. I'm surprised they haven't. Yeah. And you mentioned about you, you listen to a lot of books now rather than read them. I mean, that would, in itself, would still be. A pretty impressive achievement to sit through. I don't know how many hours you would have to sit and listen to the stand if it was just an inaudible book. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like in terms of reading, like I said before, I kind of fell out of reading. And then as an adult, kind of got back into it. And with my commute from home up to Lennox Town, we'll be getting interviews for the Celtic View and the Matchday programme. I've got this kind of hour time slot where it's so busy in the house with a 15 month old daughter, like I said before, um, been able to allocate that time to reading because you obviously can't pick up a book whilst I'm driving. It's brilliant. Um, but yeah, I mean, the stand would be a big effort there, but I would, uh, I maybe will revisit it at some point in the audiobook. And when your own book comes out, I mean, obviously the pub- it'll be up to the publishers whether they see that as an audio book and you fancy giving it a go yourself reading it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they, they said that depending on how it does, um, 404 actually has got a relationship with Amazon and Audible uh, and it tends to be a kind of case-by-case basis if there is... If there is enough interest and people are doing it, I don't know if they would ask me to do it. I'm not sure. I mean, I'd love I'd, if people who... I, I know some people turn their nose up at audiobooks. I think they're brilliant. I think however you choose to consume literature or uh, non-fiction or anything is up to you. And it's just a kind of sign of the times that people don't necessarily have time to sit down and read. Maybe they'd be better place getting someone else and not me to do it. But, yeah. We'll I'm wait sure. and see. We'll yeah. wait and see. Well, you're listening to the Read All About It podcast with me, Paul Cadehan. My guest today is journalist and writer Joe Donnelly. And Joe, we're on to question three, which is a book that you would recommend to anyone. Yeah, it would be The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Uh, I think the way that it puts across the themes of, so it's the, the lead character has Asperger's and kind of putting someone in the shoes um, of someone with the condition. I think it's a really interesting way to do it because sometimes it reads awkwardly. It reads like a kind of thought process that's happening in real time. So like the thoughts are kind of just thrown onto the page. And in terms of, from a very personal perspective, in terms of what I'm hoping to do with, with my book Checkpoint next year, it's to convey mental health or, or mental illness or, or problems with, with the kind of mental process through a lens of, through a kind of personal lens. I think that book does that very very well and it is a mystery book in a kind of really unorthodox way it keeps you guessing till the end uh, but in a very personal way and yeah I mean it's from the first time I read it it's just completely stuck with me and I think that anyone who's got an interest in mystery books or mental health I think it's yeah it would definitely be my my first recommendation now because it's a real I think for him to write that book and and to get into that character and it's a real skill in what he's what he's done there I mean it became a phenomenally successful I saw a stage adaptation of it the King's Theatre a couple of years ago and again I was interested as much as to see how on earth you would turn this book into, into a play and it actually worked really really well but you, you're totally immersed in that character but that's obviously his skill as a writer. Yeah I mean and you said that about the, the, the stage adaptation and I would love to see it because I think yeah I can't imagine I think if you explain to someone like the themes of like yeah, the curious incident is the fact that there is a dog with you know, a garden fox through its abdomen in the garden and then it goes from there and it's about someone that's Gasperger's and, and the twists and turns it takes and the kind of social elements about the family not necessarily seeing eye to eye and, and the exploration side of it as well and I think even if you explain like 
any of that in a it's hard to imagine that in book form never mind how you would how you would take that to the stage but yeah I mean it, it was just it was so different from anything I'd read at the time and it's so different from anything I've really read since and I think that yeah that that is that is the central tenets of something you'd recommend to someone something which makes you think differently makes you think through a different different scope a different lens and challenges you to consider you know we spoke about stereotype at the top of the, the top of the podcast about you know how do you how do you perceive certain people? How do you perceive the way that they think? Why do you think that? that This book makes you think through all those things in I mean, a really interesting way. I mean, in terms of recommendations, do you either read a lot of books on people's recommendations or vice versa? Do you, do you find yourself reading something and recommending it to people and saying you need to read this? Yeah, a bit of both. Um, I'm always open to anything, really. Um, like, we, we've discussed this before, like, with any form of entertainment, be it books, you know, films, video games, whatever. It's hard to, if you start playing something, reading something, watching something, and you're not engaged in it, it's hard to continue going just for the sake of it. Um, but if someone personally was to recommend something to me, I would definitely give it as good a shot as I could. And this is definitely one of those books, I think, that everybody should give it a shot. And it might not be for everybody, but, you know, it's something... Yeah, I mean, that's why you make recommendations, isn't it? Now, the other side of the coin, of course, is that if, you, if there's a book that you'd recommend to anyone, uh, is there a book that, that you couldn't be paid to read again? Island by Aldous Huxley, which is considered a classic. Um, for the record, I absolutely loved Brave New World. Uh, the, the kind of, well, it was written before 1984, and, and George Orwell was 1984, but it kind of takes the view of anyone who's not read it about man being controlled, whereas 1984 takes the kind of surveillance state approach. Um, Aldous Huxley in Brave New World talks about medicine being used, pharmaceutical companies being used to control the populace um, island takes a kind of it's the antithesis of that and it kind of takes a utopian um, look at the world on an island and because I love Brave New World so much I read Island from cover to cover on holiday and really didn't like it found it like, I was just sitting by the pools in the sun and I just kept reading because I thought like at some point this book is going to surprise and I'm going to really like it and, and, and side with all the all the praise that it gets and uh, when Aldous Huxley clearly clearly was a, a fantastic writer, but I just didn't. I, I don't know. I just thought it was. I mean, thirty years after he wrote Brave New World, it was verbose for the sake of being verbose. It felt like he was like I don't think there's anything wrong with flexing your literary muscles for want of a better term, but it felt like he was just filling sentences with this flowery language, and I just, it just didn't sit with me. I didn't think if, if politics and English language is how writers should be, as per George Orwell, this was the opposite of that as well, and I just. Yeah, I, didn't like, I tried to read it again a wee bit down the lines I thought maybe it was because I was on holiday and I wasn't focused enough and ah, I hated it <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, think that's, that's, I always think that's the beauty of, of books is it's a subjective thing so somebody will be sitting listening to this and, and the island will be like one of their, their favourite books and they'll yeah. probably be shouting at you yeah what do I know and that's as, probably as the case but it just, I, just, I just didn't it, and I gave it I gave it a fair spin you know like I, I read it um, from, from cover to cover and then tried again and just really, really didn't like it. Now, given <laughs> given the fact that it is such a subjective thing, people's you know in any art form, how are you going to be okay in terms of when you start getting reviews for your book? You know, because because it's a it's a personal thing for you. It's, it's it's a part memoir, so there's a lot of you in it. That obviously, when you get the nice reviews, that'll be fantastic. But if you know you can't please all of the people all the time, so how do you think you'll react if if you read a review? And, and it's not so complimentary? It depends who it is. If it's my mum that's left a negative <laughs> review, I'll never speak to her again. Um, no, I mean, like, like, like yourself, Paul, I mean, worked online for quite a while and people say don't read the comments. I don't I don't necessarily agree with that. I think as journalists, part of our job is to read the comments, whether they're being positive or negative, and I think that extends to writing books as well. I think, I think it's interesting with Checkpoint because 
no matter what people think of it, I hope that people engage with it. I hope that people, even if you hate video games or you know you're quite happy stereotyping mental health, I hope and you do pick up the book. I think that if you can just have an open mind, I still believe in the message. So even if someone picks it up and completely slags it, I don't think that I would be too upset in theory uh, if I decide to do anything fiction down the line that's maybe different because then you are trying to impress people but I think the Marvel Watch Checkpoint is a it's a narrative non-fiction book where there is a message which I wholeheartedly stand by and agree with so if someone doesn't and is quite critical of it then fair enough but I don't know ask me in nine to five months when somebody's <laughs> left early I'll, <laughs> I'll get you back on and read some of the bad reviews because actually one of the podcast guests is uh, Martin Gregg who, who runs Backpage Press and yeah. he'd said when, when they look at the reviews and even when if he's going to buy a book and he'll look at reviews, sometimes he, he kind of discards almost the five star and the one star because they are just the two opposite extremes of, of absolute love or hate. And he says quite often the three star reviews can be really accurate because they can be constructive but not fawning. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's the way to go that if you see... If your mum's just put a three star review on, then you... I'd be very upset with that. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point. Um, I, I think... Yeah, I mean, going, going back to like online criticism from, from readers, everybody is entitled to the opinion. The best ones are the ones that offer something else to the conversation. You know, if you don't like the book, then that's one thing. It would be good if you said why. Yeah, and I think that yeah. applies universally. Like, if you can be, yeah, critical um, without being either extreme, I think that's fair enough. But yeah, I suppose, uh, I'll say I'll be okay with negative <laughs> comments, but yeah, I'm better revisit that in six months when the book's out. But it must be great as well, like, for your parents... They'll they'll go back. They'll remember just reading your stories, and then when you first started showing an aptitude for writing, and, and now to see you like already get one book published and another one come out, that, that must be. As any parent, they must be really proud. Absolutely, um, particularly my dad with the, the James Forrest thing, given he's a, a lifelong Celtic fan, and not my mum's not proud of that. She absolutely is, and and so are my family. Yeah, it's 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 really nice. I think um, when we had Chris McQueer for the Christmas issue of the Celtic View last year. How's that for a plug? He, we, him and I had a conversation about uh, writing in, in Glasgow, and, and he's from the East End. And that, in some ways, I mean, he's only a, a few years younger than me, but probably Scotland all over. I can only speak to the West of Scotland in terms of experience and like the kind of creative industries. If you show like an aptitude for writing at school or maybe drama or art, quite often there's somebody else there saying, "Ah, no, you shouldn't do that. You need a real job." And like you said at the top of the program, I was a plumber for a number of years before I moved into journalism and writing. And I think that being able to kind of eventually ignore that it's, it's t- taken me a while certainly but to ignore that and then pursue something which you enjoy I love writing be it about video games Celtic or, or whatever else I'm doing and to be able to express yourself you know show that you're semi-competent in it and then be able to show that to your parents or your family or anything it's a great feeling and also it's, again it's good you know when somebody who doesn't know you for example you're on 404 Inc you're just you submit that proposal for checkpoint on spec and they're they're looking at it from a, a business point of view as much as anything else and, and they like what they see. That I mean that obviously as a writer it must give you great encouragement. Absolutely. And and, and Laura excuse me, Laura and, and Heather at four oh four have been brilliant with me. Um, they were in touch almost immediately after I submitted the proposal and it was just like an open submissions thing and they'd said that they, they'd quite liked to do something on mental health and video games and, and the thought of bringing them together certainly appealed to them. Uh, they for all they're an independent publisher, they know what they're doing. Um, and Margaret Atwood even spoke really positively about what they're doing. Um, she named them in, I think it was like top 15 or top 16 people for the Times, the English Times, um, for women that are changing the world, one of which was Greta Thunberg. So, I mean, they as a publisher are, are, are really making making huge strides. And it's a real 
honour and pleasure for me to be working with them and also to kind of pitch something which aligned with their politics and their outlook. So it's, it's really exciting. I love what I'm doing and I love the subject matter and I love writing about things which I'm passionate about. Um, and yeah, that's football and video games and mental health. So to be able to do that all at once in different capacities is that's a dream come true. And then the future, I suppose the pinnacle will be is if a future guest on the Read All About It podcast recommends your book. That's it, yeah. <laughs> and um, Or maybe somebody will come on and absolutely pan it and then you can invite will back just, on. I will, just, yeah. I will edit that out for yeah. you, Joe. If you leave it and you can invite me back and I can tell you how I feel about negative reviews. So. Well, we're on to the, the fifth and final category and that is either the last book you read or the book that you're currently reading. This isn't the exact last book that I read, but I read Shoe Dog, the memoir by Phil Knight, who's a creator of Knight, which is a really, really interesting book, but it's just before that I read The Chain by Adrian McKinty, and I wanted to talk about that because it's a fantastic piece of fiction. It's a kind of mystery thriller, um, and it taps into all the fears of parenthood. So it's about it's about the chain and technology. It's this really nefarious group who essentially kidnap children and keep people in the chain in order to make money and it's a roller coaster of a book that I would recommend to MD as well. And it's a, it's a fantastic book. Adrian McKinty's story is really interesting as well. I know we spoke about this in work before. It, the, um, Don Winslow, the, the, the crime thriller writer, was into his stuff and spoke to Shane Salerno, the film producer, who is also Don Winslow's agent. And Adrian McKinty was living with his family in Australia. He was an Uber driver. And for all he did critical acclaim claim for his books, he hadn't really made too much money off it. And Don Winslow had said to Shane Salerno, this guy's really good. Shane Salerno phoned him up and said, have you got anything based in America? The Chain was the, the book that he was working on at the time. He sent over the first 50 pages, and overnight Shane Salerno wired him $10,000, I think it was. And The Chain is on all sorts of best-of lists for 2019. It's a fantastic book and it also inadvertently as well as my colleague Tony Conley's recommendation got me into Don Winslow. But I think The Chain is, like it's one of those ones if you read any book in 2019 if you haven't read anything. I've recommended it to everybody I know, I've put my dad onto it and yeah, it's a fantastic book. Because what I, I mean, you mentioned that story of Adrian McKinty and I always think as a writer those, those are the stories that inspire me because as you know, you know, you'll be the same, you've got ideas, you're writing and obviously you just want to get your stuff out but there is, I think any writer wants to be successful, they want to, as many people as possible to buy their books and, and do really well and people that always give you hope because you just never know that moment of luck that allied to the obvious talent he had and suddenly he becomes, that book becomes a worldwide bestseller. Yeah, I think that's it and like you hear a lot of stories of people making their millions in their first novel and that is amazing for them and, and it's great to see. Adrian McKinty was somebody who, yeah, I mean, he had real critical acclaim, he had all sorts of nods and awards, which is great, but if you're not if you're not kind of reaping the benefits financially, like he was saying, he was interviewed after, Shane Salerno had approached him and, and he said he kind of felt unfair because his wife was doing most of the work while he was living this kind of romantic writer idea, which is great and he's obviously clearly a very talented writer but not really earning any money. But yeah, I mean, it certainly gives any any author uh, that kind of, as you say, like the the inspiration or, or the drive to, to keep on going. One of the things that I saw someone, when they were speaking about the chain, they said that Adrian McKinty approaches writing with like, the guile and the grit of like an investigative journalist. And the way he explores some of the themes, because technology is a kind of overarching theme throughout the chain, there are some things about kind of computer hacking and stuff, which I would have no idea about. Um, but the way he 
he's clearly done his research, but the way he's able to articulate it and pitch it is in layman's terms, which you can understand over the course of the story. So no, it's a fantastic book. Recommend it to anyone. Because you mentioned as well, earlier on, the two books you've you either brought out or, or working on are non-fiction, but fiction as well, given the fact you read fiction, that's and maybe books like that will be an influence in terms of wanting to kind of explore that in terms of your own writing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a wee fiction idea, which I'm not ready to, to speak about yet, but it kind of explores time travel. So I'm also listening to Stephen King's 2211-63, and it's about time travel and what if President Kennedy wasn't assassinated. So yeah, but it's kind of like, I think you'll always be interested to read anything fiction-wise which overlaps with your own interests. Not that you would, you would ever steal ideas, but to be informed with what's there. And maybe that'll help shape some of your future ideas as well. Both in a way of, okay, well, they've did this, maybe I'd like to take it that way. But also because you are interested in those in those themes. In 2020, obviously, it's shaping up to be an exciting year. You know, you know your book Checkpoint's already on pre-order. Just even seeing the cover of it as well must be a real thrill. But the fact is it's going to be coming out this year and it's just something, as you say, you've got a real passion for, a real belief in, and, and to see that then in book form and, and hopefully then be able to engage other people as well it must be quite exciting. Definitely, I can't wait, like I said before about seeing the James Forrest book in, in the Celtic shop, to see it, like the thought of it sitting in you know a bookshop and maybe somebody picking it up and, and, and buying it, as long as they don't leave a negative review, I mean that, that sounds really thrilling, I'm only joking obviously, but I said to you, like the pre-order it's on the 404 site, but it's also on Waterston, so I've got a partnership with 404. And my mum's shopped in Waterston's forever, so like the fact that she can go on the Waterston's website and see that you know Joe Donnelly's there, that makes her really proud. And she's told all my aunties and stuff like that, which is a wee bit embarrassing. But it's cool. I mean, it's, it's good to be able to... Because, I mean, books are hard. <laughs> Do you know, like you need to put a lot of time and a lot of yourself into them. It's a lot of words. It's, it's a, lot of, a lot of effort in your spare time. So to be able to, yeah, the end product, eventually make that worthwhile so if anybody's listening the book is available to pre-order <laughs> and also I've given you a top tip before that somebody told me as a, as a writer that once the book's actually published go into to bookshops and if it's just on the shelves and you can just see the spine take it out turn them to see the cover or else go and place it on some of the, the prominent tables because people definitely judge a book by its cover and, and I won't judge you if I bump into you and you've got half a dozen copies of your own book in well, your I'm hands. glad that that's already <laughs> But listen, thanks very much, Joe, for, for joining us in the Read All Out podcast. And we really look forward to the publication of, of Checkpoint. I have a feeling that it is going to be absolutely massive. But uh, thanks for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast. And I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast, or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at paulcuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddihy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading. Keep reading.